0: Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow, is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. Hey, and once again, thank you so much for listening to the Firetime Podcast. I am stoked that you're here today. I'm seriously excited. You know, today's topic is something that I am really passionate about and frankly, I didn't fully understand the weight of it until, I don't know, the last six months or so. So today we're going to be talking with Rachel Feinstein, who's with the HPBA. And what we're talking about is government affairs and how it affects our industry. Now, before you stop the podcast, government affairs is a term that we've all heard before, right? I mean, every year we go to our affiliate meetings and every year we hear a government affairs report. And so often as a dealer, you can feel just disconnected from it. Like, oh yeah, it's a bunch of political stuff. They'll figure it out. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, over the last six months, my eyes have really been open to the fact that this is a huge deal and there are people out there that they want to destroy our industry and it's up to us to use our voice. Now I'll put my cards on the table. I've held a cynical view of government in the past. And as I have gotten to learn the ins and outs of HPBA and the way that the government affairs program works and even starting to lobby and things like that, what I've realized is that we actually do have a voice. And the problem is most of the time we don't use it. You know, for instance, we have an EPA deadline that's coming up hard and fast. It's in May of 2020. And HPBA has been working relentlessly for the last... I mean, three years or so on this to try to extend this deadline, to try to get some kind of sell-through option in place so that dealers like you and like me aren't stuck with a bunch of product that we can't sell on our floors. So the work that they do is crucial to the success of your business, and it can be hard as a dealer because... You can feel insulated from it. you know, usually stuff happens at the government level, then it rolls out to manufacturers, then eventually it rolls out to the dealers. And so, in a lot of ways, dealers don't always have to be as cognizant of it. But I think what this EPA deadline has done is it's it's kind of woken a lot of people up to the fact that things like this happen and they really affect everybody. Dealers, manufacturers, and the like. So, this conversation is going to be awesome, and we're going to talk about a lot of things related to government affairs. And there's an amazing academy that the HPBA runs every other year in Washington, D.C., and I would highly, highly recommend that you go to it. I'm not joking when I say it was life changing. Even though it dealt with government affairs, I'm telling you that I learned more that I can put into my business immediately than I have going to a lot of other conferences. So, I can't tell you enough about this. Government affairs is so important because at the end of the day, HPBA is a skeleton crew. We're going to talk about this in the interview. I think they've got like 15 people on staff, not many and they're lobbying every day on Capitol Hill. They're trying to pay attention to what's going on in all 50 states. And what it really comes down to is that we need people to step up in every state In every major market, keep your eyes open, keep your ear close to the ground, and when you hear about things, call the HPBA, get them involved, they'll give you resources to help save your business and and prolong our industry, but they can't do it by themselves. A funny story that I'll tell you is, a few years ago, this is probably two and a half, three years ago, I got asked to volunteer for a DEQ survey, Department of Environmental Quality Survey in Oregon. And I didn't want to do it. I was busy, but I ended up going to this meeting, participating in this survey. Well, what that rolled into is they were checking into some stuff that had to do with wood smoke emissions in the state of Oregon. And I was one of the only dealers that showed up and did the survey. And so they asked me if I wanted to start going to some meetings to talk about how wood smoke worked. Well, next thing you know, I get invited to be part of a DEQ Committee that was about a year, year and a half long process where we met in four or five different places all across Oregon with people from all kinds of different advocacy groups and uh, in different industries. But what we were trying to do from our perspective was educate this group on clean burning versus not clean burning, on what new stoves can do. And DEQ was awesome; they were super fair. We were able to really. Uh, educate and and enlighten a lot of folks that just frankly had no idea about our products. And what ended up coming out of that year and a half long committee was that the local county that I live in was able to get funding for a Woodstove changeout program. And this is like, they got millions of dollars to do it. So it was a long process that started out with me filling out a survey that I frankly didn't want to fill out. It turned into about a year, year and a half of meetings. And then all of a sudden a Woodstove changeout program came out of it. And I'm looking at it now, we're a couple years into the program. I mean, they have been throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars to businesses to help change out dirty stoves for clean ones. And it's been a win. But I don't know if that would have happened if I wouldn't have taken that first step to show up and get involved. Now, I just tell you that story to say that that there's really good things out there that are waiting to happen for businesses that want to step up and use their voice. So, with all that said, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rachel. I think you're going to find it super, super eye-opening. <music> Joining me from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, is Rachel Feinstein. She is the Senior Manager for Government Affairs for the Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association and... If that's not a mouthful, I don't know what is. How's it going, Rachel?
1: It's going really well, Tim. Thanks.
0: I, I just want to know, honestly, how do you fit that title on a business card?
1: It, it fits. It takes a couple of lines, yeah. but it does fit.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, for for those that are listening who who aren't familiar with you, I know they're going to be familiar at least with the HPBA, and and, uh, I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you about some of the work that HPBA does. Um, Can you just give us a real quick kind of origin story as to your journey to uh, the Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association and what that's been like?
1: Yeah, definitely. So when I was finishing my undergrad degree in political science at the University of Pittsburgh, I wanted to work in policy and, and uh, politics of some kind. I thought I wanted to work for a think tank, like RAND or um, Heritage Foundation or something, but they, I found out pretty quickly that they're looking for people with PhDs and or years of experience, and coming right out of undergrad, you're not gonna have that. So I got hooked up with a, a, staffing, a staffing organization that like a headhunter firm, And they reached out to me with a a prospect a couple weeks before graduation, and they said, hey, we have this client who's looking for a government affairs assistant uh, to fill that position. It's for some trade association that does something with with grills or or stove cooktops or something. You'll figure it out. (laughs) So I had never even heard of a trade association before, but hey, government affairs is in the title. So I... Packed up my car, literally, and drove to D.C. with no apartment, no job, stayed with friends and family, interviewed with HPBA, and got it after a couple interviews with them. So it's, it's I've been with HPBA now for seven years, a little over seven years.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, actually, as I think about it now, I think that it must have been six, seven years ago, I think that we were on the Young Guns Committee together. Like That must have been yeah. right when you started.
1: It was, yeah. I think that might have been my first show when we met, mm-hmm. uh, the 2012 show. I think it was Atlanta that year. Um, I think yeah. it was at Stats, the, the Young Guns reception or something.
0: Yeah. But, oh, man, that's yeah. that's hilarious. Well, you know, I mean, I've been in the industry now for about 13 years, and there's a lot of folks listening that have been doing it for way longer than that. We've all heard about HPBA. And and if I'm being honest, before, I don't know, four months ago, five months ago, um I hadn't thought as seriously as I needed to about it. You know, for the last couple of years, I've organized the the conferences for our local affiliate. And I've really believed in, like, bringing value to the dealers at that level. But I really hadn't spent much time thinking about HPBA at the national level. And so, I mean, you've spent seven years here and, and you know, the backstory before that. Can you talk about what has HPBA done historically for the benefit of our industry?
1: So historically, we've been involved in, in a lot. I talked to John Crouch earlier today and asked him this question, and we both agreed we've been involved in so much and done so much over the past two or three decades when we were, I think, originally the Wood Heating Alliance, I think it was called, um, but we we started out as defending the right to burn wood. So we really started out in defending uh, people's ability and 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 uh, freedom to to use a wood burning appliance. We've been involved in in fighting that in Utah, most recently at the state level, where the state of Utah, the the Department of uh, Environmental Quality, the Utah DEQ, they proposed a complete ban on wood burning in seven counties during the months of November through March.
0: And wasn't those seven counties like, didn't that contain like 90% of the population of Utah?
1: Yep, 90% of the population of Utah, and conveniently, Park City was exempt, one of the tourist areas. Wow. We've seen the advocacy trend move from not just defending wood heating, but now more so towards uh, fossil fuel use and defending uh, gas-burning appliances from burdensome regulations from the U.S. Department of Energy. HPBA was successful in suing the Department of Energy and and we won our lawsuit against them. The U.S. Court of Appeals in D.C. agreed with us that the way that DOE tried to regulate us was inappropriate. So we were successful there. We've been working now with uh, Natural Resources Canada, which is the Canadian equivalent of U.S. Department of Energy, on uh, protecting gas fireplaces and other gas hearth products and making sure that regulations there are sound and appropriate for the technology. We've seen in Vancouver, they tried to ban natural gas in the entire city completely. So that includes like gas cooking and gas heat, everything. And people had no idea it was happening. And when we started our public relations campaign on this, initially people kept calling us fake news that they're like, no way is Vancouver actually going to completely ban natural gas. But they were trying to and we fought that and 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 were successful in slowing them down in that process and they're now no longer looking into that. But we need to keep our, our thumb on the wheel here. Uh, we have a saying in government affairs, if you aren't at the table, you are what's for dinner.
0: So. <laughs> if you're not at the table, you're on the table. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, my eyes were open to this. So uh, probably a month or so ago, I came out to D.C. for the Tom Pugh's Government Affairs Academy, and I'd heard about it for years. Um, I think Ed Hozak had told me about it maybe six years ago, seven years ago. And I almost went three years ago, but we were having a baby and life was crazy. And so maybe six months back, I got asked to come to it. And ironically, we're getting ready to have another baby. And I'm like, no, there's no way I can do it. Life is too crazy. It's too nuts. And I was talking to my wife, and she goes, "Look, you know, how often do you get to do something like this? Go do it!" And and uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this because the Government Affairs Academy is unbelievable. I mean, it was a life changing experience, and I, I don't say that lightly. Like it was crazy. Can you talk about what the Government Affairs Academy is and why it's so important? And I'm going to kind of fill in as needed.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the Government Affairs Academy really is this industry's leadership training academy. Not just government affairs, but we, we start off the week, it's, so it's three days of, of in-room training and discussion, and then we conclude the week uh, with a day on the hill. And the first three days are pretty intense media training. I think Stratacom really put you guys through the ringer on oh, that yeah. second day. Yep, where they, they ask each attendee really hardball questions and and film you while you're being asked these questions to simulate a media interview with the press. And we also do a, a, we call it our testimony exercise where we put together a scenario where legislation or a rule or something has been proposed to address a perceived problem either by a state legislature or a board of contractors and half of the group in attendance has to argue in favor of that proposal and then the other half has to be against. Our industry typically is on the side that's against a proposal. We're usually on defense. Usually when we're coming out of a defensive stage and we're about to go back, try to get back to offense, we're usually forced back to defense. Or something. <laughs> so it's a great way to prepare for that kind of situation and have that experience in a controlled environment than being kind of thrown into the fire pun intended yeah. when something comes up.
0: Well, I love that you said that it's, it's our industry's leadership training. I've not heard it articulated it that, that way, but it really is. I mean, it is, it is the training of leadership at the national level and the local level. And what blew me away, cause when, you know, when you hear the term government affairs, you're kind of like, well, wait, what's that, what's that even mean? You know? Um, but when you think about it as, as leadership training it, it, it is interesting to think that, that every day the HPBA's sole job is to fight for our industry against people that want to take it down. I mean, really, that's what the HPBA is doing. And what, what blew my mind is that you guys are running a skeleton crew at the national level and there's no way that you can stay in the loop with what's going on locally in all 50 states. You no, know, you have a good idea of what's going on at the hill, but you know, it's it's only through people at the local level that we can really get ahead of this. And so, to elaborate on what you said, you know, when we when we go in for, for media training, it was awesome to have somebody pepper us with hardball questions of well, wait a minute. So are you for cancer since you are for burning wood stoves? You know, I mean, what do you say to that when they have a microphone in your face and and it was awesome to get that feedback and just to go through really formal training of these are the skills that are needed to be articulate, truthful and powerful when you speak to convince people of the, the validity of our industry. And it, I, the training was absolutely amazing.
1: That's great to hear. And it's it really it's um, it helps people in their businesses, too, with like learning how to articulate something and, and have your bases and be a better salesperson even and, and even an advocate for your business within your community. And um, it's just a really great experience. And then it all ties together with our day on the hill at the end where you're in person with staff and and members of Congress in some meetings.
0: Yeah. And that was actually pretty crazy to think that we went through three days of training. And then next thing I know I'm wearing a suit, shaking hands with senators talking about legit issues that they're going to vote on in a week and a half. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was pretty mind blowing. And it, what it, what it made me realize is that it can be really easy to hold um, a cynical view of the government. And I'm not here to debate, you know one's political leanings one way or the other, but no matter where you sit politically what what this government affairs academy made me aware of is that we have a voice, mm-hmm. and very often we just choose not to use it, especially at the local level
1: and a lot of people assume at, at the federal level they people will assume. Well, I'm just one voice. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't I, I shouldn't call my my congressman or senator's office like they hear from people all the time. Or, oh, someone else is already taking care of that. Someone else is already speaking on my behalf. So one of my first political jobs, I was an intern in a senator's office in one of not in the D.C. office, but in one of their state um, offices. I worked for Senator Specter from uh, Pennsylvania. So I worked in his Philadelphia office for a month and a half and took all the constituent phone calls and emails and 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 connected constituents with, uh, say, if they had a social security issue and and weren't able to get their benefit or get a hold of someone there, we would help them with that. the constituent services office, these local offices are really that they they are your resource and you are their resource. They want to hear from you on what issues are impacting you not just EPA and department of energy stuff but they want to know what kind of, of tax barriers are out there for your business licensing laws they want to know what's happening in your community so that they know where constituents stand and what will help them because at the end of the day they they want to get reelected and you are you are the voter yeah um, and when someone runs for office, usually they start out with good intentions. Some of them don't end with good intentions, but for the most part, these people are, they have a public servant mindset. And definitely the staff in these offices have a public servant mindset. I'm sure Tim and a lot of the meetings that you had on the Hill, it was mostly young people or middle aged and they all were energetic generally.
0: Well, that, that was what blew my mind is that, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of 22 year olds that run our country. I mean, it was like, it was like being in a, in a college dorm room seeing, yeah. I mean, seeing everybody running around. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, our country, our laws are being written by 23, 24 year olds. Um, the congressmen turn to their staff for the, that knowledge and say, Hey, I'm hearing this issue at this town hall put some legislation together so we can address it. Or yeah. vice versa.
0: Yeah, that's that's really, really true. And and just to clarify too, can you define the word constituent?
1: A constituent would be um, like so you live in Oregon. You are a constituent of Senator Merkley. Yep. It's it's really dependent on your location where yep. you live and your relation to an elected official.
0: Yeah, it's almost like someone with a vested interest in that official, and the official having a vested interest in them. Right? It's kind of symbiotic.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that's a good way of putting it.
0: Yeah, and you know, it, it is easy to to be cynical and to say, well, why should I call my senator? Someone else will, and you know, they're not going to listen to me. But I thought about this. I mean, because a lot of the people listening run small retail stores, and I'm just just imagine that you have a customer call and complain about a model of fireplace. And you take the call and they say, hey, this isn't working. This is broken and I need it taken care of. And you go, okay, well, we'll take care of it. And then an hour later, the phone rings and it's someone else that says, hey, I've got the same model fireplace and this is this is messed up on it. and It's broken. I need help. And then you go, man, that's weird. It seems like we're getting a lot of calls today. And then an hour later, you have someone else call. And at this point, only three people have called. But you're sitting there going, are you kidding me? Like, it, you know, it's the idea that like, a lot of the time the loudest voice gets listened to and even just a couple phone calls i just i imagine imagine running it like what if your local business got 3 complaints on the same fireplace in a day like all of a sudden you're like man maybe we got to do something about this
1: that's absolutely it it took one email from one west virginian to get senator capito to sponsor the nsts legislation we're working on just one email they wanted to help us and they needed to justify it and asked Can you get someone, just one person, because when they're asked the question, well, why are you sponsoring this legislation? Why are you supporting it? And they need to be able to say, well, our constituents have voiced their concern. And... It. That's really all it took.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned something that I want to move to, and that was NSPS. So, Ooh. most people have probably heard of this unless you've been living under a rock for the last 10 years. But, can you just define what's going on right now with NSPS and why it's such a big deal?
1: Sure. So, I can't. So, HPBA filed suit against the EPA over some provisions of the NSPS that were finalized in May 2015.
0: And just to I clarify, NSPS stands for the New Source Performance Standard.
1: Yep, new source performance standards for new residential wood heaters, hydronic heaters, and forced air furnaces. On the legislation, the bill number in the Senate is S-1857. As I mentioned earlier, sponsored by Senator Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia. The House version of that bill, which was introduced first, Uh, by Congressman Colin Peterson of Minnesota. So we made it out of the House, and now our bill in the Senate, which is identical to the language that passed out of the House, is slowly working its way. It's taken about a year and a half to get where we are today, and a lot of people don't realize this, but every two years after every election, uh, Congress, uh, the session of Congress ends, and any bill that wasn't passed into law that people want to continue pursuing has to be reintroduced every single time. It has wow. to go through a hearing and markup and everything all over again. So with our legislation, we this is it because we can't reintroduce it next year. S one eight five seven would extend that effective date by three years to May fifteenth, twenty twenty three. But I'm sure many people watching this now you're making having to make decisions today based on that twenty twenty effective date. Manufacturers as well, what products they're going to focus on to try to get through testing if they haven't gotten them step two certified yet. So we're hopeful that we'll that our bill will be, we'll get a markup. But the problem is with the election this year, not a lot of legislation is getting signed or passed right now. I mean, people are already talking about what they're going to introduce next session. So we're hopeful that after our bill is moved out of the EPW, Environment and Public Works Committee, we would then be able to be added as an amendment to a bigger package of legislation in the Senate. The problem with the Senate, so with the House, we were pretty much a standalone bill, didn't have to be attached to a bigger package. In the Senate, it's a whole different ballgame. In the Senate, they have to vote on whether they're going to vote On a bill. So, and it's called um, unanimous consent. And in order to get unanimous consent, so every senator, every single one, has to vote yes, let's vote on that bill. Not voting yes for the bill, but yes, let's vote. It's the the meeting
0: to have the meeting.
1: Exactly, the meeting to have the meeting. And one way to get some senators to yes is to allow them to make amendments to a bill. So, our bill would be that bargaining chip for Senator Capito to get unanimous consent on a given bill.
0: Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and just to circle back to for people that aren't aware, you know, NSPS, it, it's a big deal because the reality is that that it's here. And unless we get an extension, May 15th, 2020, anything that's not certified phase two is, is done, it has to get thrown yeah. in garbage because it's it's gone. So that means that manufacturers, dealers, everyone Uh, Any existing inventory, floor models, I mean, you got to find something to do with it, like make it a boat anchor because you can't sell it.
1: Definitely. And I encourage everyone, check with your manufacturer and and send them a list of what you have in your store and ask, what of this is step two? What can I sell? And one of the issues right now is many manufacturers, some have at least one product that's step two, some manufacturers have several products that meet step two. But for those who don't have a product, the reason why we need this extension is without it, even if you sell through all of your your step one product, if the manufacturer doesn't have a product that meets step two to replace that model line in your store, you're not going to have anything to sell. And the the manufacturer won't be able to continue funding R&D and testing costs. It costs $20,000 for a single test on a model for wood stoves. So it's, it's a big investment, especially for smaller companies.
0: Oh, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a big deal. And so where we're at now is that when we were out in DC a couple of weeks ago talking is that, you know, HPBA has, has basically put a bill forward to ask for a three-year extension. So that oh. that can provide manufacturers the time that they need to develop technology to sell through inventory and alleviate the burden from dealers I mean, because there's dealers in in my market that have a half million dollars in inventory that is it's going to be it's going to be dead weight in a little over a year and a half. So there's this is this is a big deal. Yes, and definitely. This is a funny story I'll I'll tell you too. So when we were when yeah. we were mer- meeting with uh, Senator Merkley's office and uh, we were we were talking about NSPS, I was this is just so funny about the way the way that government works. It, it reminds me of sales every day. And I met one of his assistants. She was a really, really nice lady. And it turned out that her parents lived like a half mile away from me. So we're kind of connecting on that. And, uh, and I found yeah. out through talking to her that she had been a competitive fencer for years. It was just so random. And so I asked her. I was joking around. I asked her if she kept her sword, you know, like in the back of the office just to make sure that the senator was safe. And so we laughed about that. And, and we kind of went on our way. Well, later in the day, we had a meeting with senator merkley 's staff to go into some deep details on this issue and who was leading it. It was this young lady that I talked to, and so it was yeah. awesome number one that we already had some camaraderie built, just like when you 're in a sales presentation, it helps to build trust first because if you can build trust, then it sets you up for success down the road so we yeah. uh, we got through our meeting and everything, and a couple days after I got home. I had a couple ideas. One was I decided to make a YouTube video, get some dealers from across Oregon to uh, kind of weigh in on the issue and send it to Senator Merkley. But I also thought about this nice young lady and I, I decided to go to Fred Meyer. I bought a you know really, really nice Star Wars blue lightsaber And I sent it to her with a thank you note saying, hey, thank you so much for listening to us. We appreciate your support in Senate Bill 1857 to extend NSPS for three years. I said, I know that this isn't a USA certified Sabre, but it does come in Democratic Party blue. And hopefully it helps you keep the office safe. And I tell that story because um, I followed up with customers in similar fashions. Like I've literally ordered customers pizza and spelled out are you going to buy in pepperoni when I send it to their house? I mean, cause it's just, it's just what sales is. And I think it's fun. And it's like, I think, I just think that, uh, you know, I don't know what Merkley is going to do, but I know that his assistant is never f- going to forget the person that made a YouTube video and sent her a lightsaber. And, yeah. and I think that, that stuff like that, we'll see how it plays out. But I think that creative thinking like that has the potential to go really far.
1: Definitely being memorable. And it's part of sales too. And the great thing about that video that you worked on, which was fantastic, you wrote everything out ahead of time, provided the retailers that you worked with, with a script, and just fill in the blanks, and made it as as easy, and and take as little time as possible, and you cut it really well, the video, so it's almost like a conversation back and forth between the people in the video. It just worked, and people remember stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and you know this is what's funny, and this is actually kind of sad, it's another story, but um, as I was going to make that video, I, because I'm the president of the Oregon Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association, so I had um, the, the email addresses for, you know, a bunch of the people across the state. So I sent out an email saying, hey, you know, is there anyone that can take 10 seconds to just film something on their iPhone, send it to me, don't worry about being perfect, don't worry about the quality, you know, I'll, I'll take care of all the editing and everything. And there was a lot of great dealers that did a really, really, really good job. But I got an email. I'm going to gonna read this. I mean, I this is a literal email that I got from someone where he literally says, well, after 30 plus years, I will be retiring next month with an exceptional retirement package, a financial position that the government has done everything in its power to reduce. And the thought of me sniveling and groveling to a dear senator on video, you know, he goes on and on and on. And essentially what happens is, is that number one in this email, he accuses manufacturers and the HPBA of being negligent and essentially just... Uh, saying, well, it's not our problem. We'll just pass our bad inventory off to their dealers. The second thing he does is he accuses in Oregon, we happen to have a Democratic senator, but he accuses the Democrat of not caring what his opinion is. And he said, if we're in the same room, the senator would leave the room before talking to me. I got that email and I'm like, man, that's really sad. Because number one, your response to say, I'm not going to deal with this, I'm retiring next month, is the same thing that you're accusing the manufacturers of. And number two, the fact that you won't even make a 10-second video to say, hey, would you please listen to this, you're actually walking out of the room before the senator that you're accusing of walking out of the room did. And like, I want you to talk to the cynicism that a lot of these dealers feel when it doesn't take that much to get involved.
1: The cynicism is what keeps this problem going. We can never come to a, a bipartisan agreement or solutions for these problems if you go into a conversation or or respond to a request with the attitude of, well, they're not going to listen to me anyway. They're just a Democrat, someone of the opposite party, and I don't want to deal with them. And to say, well, I'm retiring anyway, I've been in the industry for 30 years, I'm not doing anything. Kind of tells you a lot how much he valued his time in the industry to put 30 years in and to say no i'm i'm not lifting a finger this they won't listen to me anyway you'd think as a kind of swan song on your way out maybe contribute just 10 seconds of your time to something but going in with the cynicism um is is not helpful one thing we discussed at government affairs academy was Things to say and not to say in hill meetings, and one of the things not to talk about, interesting enough, is politics. Yeah, yeah. They they really at bottom the politics is for the fundraisers and the lobbyists and things. The the, they don't want to hear that from you, the constituents. They want to hear legislators and their staff want to hear what what can, how can they help you? And coming in with the attitude of, well, they're of the opposite party. I I hate all Democrats or I hate all Republicans. And I don't want to see a soundbite of me on the internet saying that separate out of this conversation to the viewers out there, but that's just, it's not a helpful attitude. And it's kind of how we got to where we are today with how politicized and polarized everything is. And I think people are really tired of that, of the Lack of engagement across party lines. So it's really on us to hold our own legislators responsible to drive them towards being more collaborative. And it doesn't help if you have the attitude of, well, I don't want to work with the opposite party, because then that's going to be reflected in the legislators who represent you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. you know, and that, and that kind of turns into, into this next thing is that I, I think that puts HPBA in a position to really work a thankless job. And I, I don't know if you would ever come out and say that, but that's what I've observed, uh, especially over these last few months here, is that so often, it's probably not true for manufacturers, but for dealers, we are more insulated from the conversation. And so we tend to think, oh, they'll just figure it out. It's not that big of a deal. It's not going to affect me. Well, the reality is, it is going to affect you, and it, it, it's almost like a like a doctor saying, "Hey, your blood pressure is really high. If you don't change it in ten years, you're going to have some big problems." You know, and it's easy to ignore that and say, "Well, I can just keep doing what I'm doing, and I feel great right now, so why does it matter?" I think a lot of dealers take that same mentality, and to be honest, I, I think it's a thankless job that the HPBA has because you're looking out for the good of everybody, but you have a skeleton crew to do it, and and I, I would imagine that you're often underappreciated for it. So I'm not going to make you answer that question, but I just know it's true. But I want to ask, what can dealers really do to join the effort?
1: Uh, really, one of the most important things is if a dealer has a problem with either not being able to pull permits because of licensing restrictions, or if they see an article in the, in the paper or online about zero net energy or energy efficiency or anything like that please tell hpba and oregon hpba or your hpba affiliate about it because we can't help you and improve the situation or get involved in that conversation unless we know about it also it definitely is important to get involved in your community. A lot of the chambers of commerce are involved in politics as a a side thing. I mean, they're involved in economics and, and local community growth. So getting involved in your chamber of commerce and making connections there is also really important. One way to get, to start building relationships with elected officials and their staff is to volunteer for a political campaign and during college i made a lot of, of phone calls and did door knocking and and distributed yard signs even having a yard sign for a, a political candidate showing your support um is something to get that yard sign you have to have talked to a campaign volunteer and talk to someone to get that generally so getting involved in the local community, keeping your your ears open and and sharing what you learn with us. As you mentioned Tim, we're it's just 5 of us here at HPBA in government affairs. We have about 23 employees total, but just 5 of us are handling federal federal affairs, state, local, and then regulatory issues too. And right now we're just starting to get involved in the, the tariff discussions, yeah. which is a whole other animal. Yep. Yep. So we really need you guys to be our our volunteer grassroots army, essentially. Well it th- really does make a difference.
0: And this is what has blown me away is even in the time since I've been back from DC, you know, I I uh, called up both offices of my senators, just followed up from the DC conversation um, both of them have volunteered to come out and have a, and have a meeting one of, in fact one of them is what I'm doing right after we get done with this interview and and, and in in the, both cases I just I phoned up HPBA and said, hey I've got these meetings coming up what should I do and you guys are right there to jump in and to say okay here's what we'd recommend here's how we can support you let us know and so I think that the reality is um, we need to realize that there are bigger issues than what we think about there's there's issues that affect the entire industry and we, should not ever take for granted what we do but when we are in a situation where we hear about something at the local level hpba is just a phone call away and you guys are right there to jump in but you can't jump in if you don't know what's going on right
1: exactly we don't know if we don't know what's going on we can't help you also if if someone sells primarily gas hearth products not so much wood. the the natural instinct would be to not get involved in the the wood advocacy issues with the NSPS and change out some things. But a great example of how it is valuable to get involved, even if it's not your product that is affected. Uh, We had a member who got very involved with our Department of Energy advocacy on Capitol Hill and developed a really good relationship with Senator Tester's office over that. And this this individual has primarily a wood-burning interest uh, t- organization, a retailer, and now we have a wood issue, and we needed Senator Tester to be a co-sponsor of S-1857, so since he had already maintained that relationship from the work on the gas issue, he was able to talk to Tester's office, and Tester is now a co-sponsor of S-1857.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So
1: it works the opposite way, too. Um if you're working, if you help with a wood issue and start developing those staff relationships, it can really pay off in the end. Because as I mentioned, our, our advocacy issues, especially at the local and state level, are are shifting more towards uh, fossil fuel restrictions
0: yeah that's that's really good well rachel this has been so awesome having you on the fire time podcast like i said um i'm so thankful for the work that you do you're a rock star and that and that the hpba does to help support businesses like the one that i work in i mean this is an awesome industry and we appreciate you fighting for it
1: sure and one final thought too yeah i i remember um just recently he told me look, like, I'm not an advocate. I don't do this. I'm just a business owner. He was a little hesitant to start getting involved in advocacy. And I told him, well, you're advocating for your business. You are an advocate. Everyone is an advocate on behalf of not just their business, but the industry. And everyone has a voice. I, I know it can be very um, easy to to become pessimistic, but your voice does matter. And that might be corny, but It it really does make a difference.
0: Yeah, what a good way to end it. All right, Rachel. Well, thanks for the time. We'll see you later.
1: Thanks, Tim. Bye, everyone. All
0: right, bye. Wow, that was an awesome conversation. You guys can tell. I mean, Rachel's a rock star. She knows this stuff and she gets it. And I'll tell you, it was so funny. When I was at the Government Affairs Academy, we go through three days of training. Next thing I know, I'm on Capitol Hill shaking hands with senators. And uh, we're running around all these tunnels underneath the Capitol trying to find different places, eating real quick in a cafeteria before our next meeting. And Rachel was like, she knew exactly where she was going. It was just pretty crazy to watch her in her element there. Now, a couple things that I do want to mention. I, I seriously want to talk about the Government Affairs Academy. Rachel talked about this. I mean, it is the leadership training program for our industry. If you want to be a leader in this industry, find a way to get to the Government Affairs Academy. I'm not joking when I tell you that, I mean, it's, it's going to change the way that you view our industry. I think I, for me, it was life changing. One of the things that was so funny, and it is this, is it doesn't even have to do with government affairs, but you know, one of the days they do this media training and they shove a camera in your face and they start just blasting you with these hardball questions. And then they replay your video and everyone gets to see what you did. And and then you have a group of like 15 people that basically critiques you. And it was so funny because I mean, they're all people that care about you. They're your friends that are in the group and, 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 you know, everyone's trying to make you better, but, but it's really nerve wracking when someone sticks a camera in your face in front of all of your peers and starts asking you questions. And, as we're going through this drill, it probably took two hours to get through everybody. You know, after one person would go, everyone would go around and they'd, they'd give feedback. They'd say, hey, here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. It'd be, it'd be great for you to maybe try this next time. We're going through person by person. And in our in our group, people's minds are just blown. They can't believe the feedback that they're getting. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the most valuable thing I've ever had. I've never, ever gotten feedback like this. It's going to make me so much better. And it was funny because when I went up for my turn, uh, they asked me these questions and, and I felt like I did a pretty good job. And a lot of the people were saying like, Tim, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, you didn't crumble under the pressure and, and, uh, and, and, you, and you were so positive with your responses. How are you able to, to, to be so concise with it? And I told them, I said, guys, there's not any, any magic to what I did. But the reality is that this is what my sales team does every week. I mean, this isn't a unique thing to me. Like this is just a a Tuesday because every Tuesday our team gets together and we role play just like we do in front of customers, but in front of our sales team, we all get feedback. It's nerve wracking because you're performing in front of your peers. It's awkward and everything else, but It makes such a big difference to have people give you candid feedback. And so that was one of the things I was just encouraging the folks at the Government Affairs Academy with is that this amazing experience from having a camera shoved in your face doesn't have to stop at Government Affairs. Take it back to your sales teams because it will make a difference. If you can have your sales team practice out loud and get feedback over and over and over, and if you as the sales leader can step right up and do the same thing, I'm telling you, your company will grow like crazy now i know that doesn't have anything to do with government affairs but it was a pretty awesome part of the government affairs academy you know what i do want you guys to think about though is that you have a voice you have a voice your congress want to hear from you they really do now they may not vote your way and you've got every right to let them know when they disappoint you by the way that they vote but shame on us If we get regulated and we do nothing to stop it, you know, shame on us if we don't use the voice that we have. And I'm so thankful for organizations like the HPBA and for people like Rachel that every single day are fighting for the good of our industry. So I hope this interview gave you some perspective. I hope it inspires you to get involved with your local affiliate, get involved with the HPBA. It doesn't take much time and it is literally saving your future business. So as always, I hope this content was valuable for you. I can't wait to see how you step up to help change our industry for the better. And thanks again for listening to the fire time podcast. We'll see you later.